a question because you touched on it and you talked about how important it is to screen. I know that you have developed the body dysmorphic disorder questionnaire or the BDDQ, and you've also worked with other uh, and created some other tools, including the BDDY box for OCD leanings, um, as well as the olfactory reference syndrome testing and some other measurement scales as well. You talk about screening and we're obviously large proponents of screening, screen everyone, screen early, screen often. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about the BDDQ, how it works, what it screens for and how long it takes, how it's incorporated into a practice? That would be wonderful. Sure. Um, well, the body dysmorphic disorder questionnaire, the BDDQ is a brief self-report questionnaire that screens for the presence of BDD. Um, and it's very good at identifying BDD when it's present. It can be used in a variety of settings. It can be used in mental health settings. It can be used in cosmetic surgery settings, dermatology settings. Um, and uh, if a patient answers no to the first few questions, then it takes just you know less than a minute. Um, if they answer yes, then it takes a little bit longer, but it's, it's brief. And um, which is one of, I think it's assets. And ideally, I think if a person screens positive for BDD on the BDDQ, ideally the diagnosis should be confirmed uh, by a clinician, for example, to determine that the appearance flaws that the patient perceives are actually non-existent or only slight, as opposed to clearly obvious. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it again, it, it's, quick and, and easy to use and effective at identifying uh, BDD. And as I mentioned, it's important to screen, you know, because cosmetic treatments tend not to almost never work. We have good psychiatric treatments that, that do work well for most patients. Um, so uh, it's important to use in, in a whole variety of settings. The BDD-Y box uh, is uh, sort of um, modeled after, derived from the Y box for OCD, which is the most widely used severity measure um, of OCD. The BDD Y box, again, sort of modified slightly for BDD, is the most widely used severity measure of, of BDD. And it's, uh, again, fairly quick to administer. It's uh, 12 questions. And um, assesses severity of BDD. It's been used in most of the treatment studies of BDD that have been done and, and uh, very, you know, it's a great, it's a, it's a great scale for assessing uh, BDD severity. Um, and then you asked about um, olfactory reference syndrome, also called olfactory reference disorder. I'm so glad you asked this question. This disorder is even less recognized than BDD is. It's, it's um, not as well studied at this point. Uh, but these are people who think they em emit a foul or offensive body odor. They think they smell really bad, that they have terrible bad breath, for example, or that they smell very sweaty, but they don't. Again, like BDD, it's a misperception, um, but it, it, they, they can do all, you know, various repetitive behaviors, checking to see if they really, you know, smell bad, which they think they do no matter what. Um, and maybe excessive showering, um, trying to hide the odor, perhaps with lots of perfume or deodorant. But again, they don't they don't smell bad, um, and they can re they really suffer a lot as well. Like the patients with BDD, high rates of suicidal thinking, suicidal behavior, um, and um, you know difficulty in day to day functioning. So uh, this is another. Uh, 
disorder that it's very important to screen for. Um, these patients also, you know, many of them see mental health clinicians, but many of them go to see dermatologists because they think they, they have a sweating problem or they go to see ear, nose and throat doctors, otolaryngologists, because they think, you know, maybe their tonsils are making their breath smell bad. But again, they, they, they do not emit an odor. They just think they do. And it's, it's uh, something that clinicians need to look for. And, um, and so the uh, Y-box modified for all factory reference syndrome uh, screens, you know, actually assesses the severity of this disorder and um, there are ways to, you know, diagnose, screen and diagnose for this disorder as well. Thank you. Thank you for that. That, that, that helps because uh, it, it was, it struck me when I was reading about it, that uh, similarities and just in terms of, is it, is it, is it the mind tricking their body into thinking things that aren't there? And how, how do you typically yes. treat that? It's just, what are some of the treatment programs for that? Is it, um, I'm just curious. It's, it's, it's treatments. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we know more about what's going on in the brains of people with BDD than OR olfactory reference syndrome, olfactory reference disorder. So people with BDD seem to have uh, aberrations there in, in visual processing. Their brain isn't seeing things exactly right. Their brain seems to overfocus on tiny details of what they're seeing and have difficulty seeing the big picture. Mm -hmm. So details take on too much importance in terms of what they are seeing. So they seem to have actual distorted perceptions, um, which may be why most people with BDD really think they truly do look abnormal because they are actually seeing something different um, than others do, uh, see. Um, in terms of treatment, again, we know much more about the treatment of BDD than olfactory reference disorder. So uh, for BDD, we have great treatments, the serotonin reuptake inhibitor medications, SRIs, sometimes called SSRIs, um, can be very helpful for these patients. They usually have to be used at higher doses than we would use for depression, for example. But a majority of people do improve with these medications and they're not habit forming. Most people tolerate them very well. And if you get the dose right and you get up to a higher dose if needed, they're usually effective. Sometimes we add other medications in to boost their effect. If one doesn't work, you might try another, but they really can be so helpful and even life-saving. Mm -hmm. um, and these medications also appear to, to work for olfactory reference disorder, although we don't have any good research studies. It's, olfactory reference disorder is very uh, understudied, I would say. The other good treatment for body dysmorphic disorder is cognitive behavioral therapy. And it does need to be tailored to BDD's unique symptoms. You know, cognitive behavioral therapy teaches skills, how to overcome, how to, how to manage your symptoms. So it helps people develop more accurate and flexible ways of thinking. For example, not assuming that other people are thinking you look ugly or not assuming that when you go to the party, people are gonna laugh at you. Um, we help them stop those repetitive behaviors like the excessive mirror checking or comparing with others because those behaviors, sometimes called rituals or compulsions, just feed the obsessions and keep them going. And they become very time consuming for many people. We also help them feel more comfortable going out 
and being around other people because there's a lot of social anxiety and avoidance in BDD. If you think you look ugly, deformed, you don't want other people to see you and you feel anxious when you go out. So we help people feel more comfortable when they go out and around other people. Um, and there's some other components to the treatment. Those are the main ones for BDD. For olfactory reference disorder, we don't have good, we don't have treatment studies, but in my clinical practice, I use a modified version of the treatment I just described for BDD. You have to modify it a bit so it focuses on body, perceived body odor, not perceived flaws in appearance, but it's easy to do that. And in my experience, uh, that treatment can work very well for olfactory reference disorder. That is fascinating. I mean, that is, I, I'm learning a ton just listening to you. Uh, Something, May is Mental Health Month, and uh, again, we, we tend to talk about mental health awareness. We, that's been a constant theme since last May, Mental Health Month, and one of the things we're really interested in in the work we're doing is moving past the awareness. I think to some extent the pandemic has created an awareness of mental health issues. If there is a sliver of a silver lining, perhaps that's it, because we're all dealing with some form of it or other. Um, but more from awareness into action. And in your opinion, you know, what are the things we can do to help repair our mental health system? I know you touched on screening. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on that? This is such a big and complex and, and very important topic. And I think you can think about it, you know, at so many different levels, the societal level, the legislative action level, the clinical level. Um, and I think you're right that stigma has, you know, stigma has been decreasing and awareness has been increasing, awareness of the importance of mental illness. I think we still have a ways to go with that. Sure. And I think the more people are just willing to talk about it and, um, you know, the, the better it gets, the more open people are. Um, and it, it just um, become, I think that helps uh, decrease, continue, you know, decrease the stigma. Uh, that that I think is still there to some degree, but again, it is so much so much better. I, I I think the mental health system has suffered from so many challenges, you know, reimbursement challenges, too few clinicians, inadequate access to care, inequities in access to care, and you know we need changes on so many levels uh, as well. I mean, at the societal level, we just need more access to care. I think especially for disadvantaged groups. Uh, like the homeless, uh, mentally ill. Um, you know, we need broader implementation of the federal parity law so that mental health care is reimbursed just like uh, physical health problems. Um, and, and I'm a big fan of telehealth, virtual health care, which I hadn't used before the pandemic struck. And I, 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 it has just been terrific. And my patients love it. And I think this also can increases access. It's so much easier for patients not to have to travel to their clinician's office, especially, you know, if they're bare, you know, they're often transportation barriers. And, and so this clinician's ability to provide uh, telehealth is certainly expanded uh, during the COVID related national state of emergency. And, and I, think, I think continued use will continue into the future. I hope so. And I hope that restrictions, there have been restrictions on use. I hope that those won't be reinstituted when the current state of emergency ends. I hope that payment parity continues uh, for telehealth visits. 
Um, I think at the clinical level, we certainly need more mental health clinicians and better identification of mental illness. You know, and as I mentioned, we need more widespread use of validated screening and diagnostic measures. I think mental health conditions, especially those like BDD, patients with BDD may be embarrassed, you know, are often embarrassed and ashamed of their concerns. They may be a little reluctant to volunteer that they have worries about their appearance of their clinician. And yet if they're asked, they, they, they will typically talk about it. So screening for BDD and, and other conditions that are easy to miss in clinical practice is so important. And I think it's important to make the screening digital and, and part of electronic health records as well. Um, we also need better monitoring of symptoms during treatment. Mm -hmm. How, you know, I don't want to treat to the point where my patients are only 50% better, even though that's great, but I, I try to get them to 90% better, 100% better. And so tracking improvement with, with a measure of some sort, a scale of some sort is, is so helpful in getting patients uh, to recovery. And, and I would just also like to mention, you know, I, I, there's an often repeated myth about mental illness, which, which is that we don't have very good mental health treatments. And I, I wonder, and I worry to what extent this has discouraged people from seeking care. Um, and it's really not true that our treatments aren't good. We can substantially improve most of the disorders we treat with the treatment we have now, mm -hmm. if they're recognized, <laughs> they're screened for, they're diagnosed, and they're well-treated. Um, and I think, you know, the glass is, is half full, more than half full rather than half empty in terms of the effectiveness of our treatments. I mean, of course, we always need more research studies. We need, you know, to further improve the treatment options. But I just want to mention that we have good treatments. And so that makes it even more important to screen for and identify a whole variety of mental health disorders, including body dysmorphic disorder and olfactory reference disorder. Well, that is a great perspective, too, for everyone to hear that it, because you're right, we do tend to think of it's failing, it's failing, it's not failing, as you, I think you touch on, it strikes me, it's access, it's availability, those are the problems, there just aren't enough people, so what are the things we can do to magnify the resources that we have, and mm -hmm. telehealth, I, th I'm, I'm, I hope, like you, that that cow is out of the barn and is not going back yes, in. Yes, yes, it's been terrific, yeah. Well, I know. Well, Catherine, I know you've written several books on the subjects of body dysmorphic disorder. Um, if our audience wants to read more of this topic or learn more about your work, uh, where should they go to find find that out? Well, they can um, read brief descriptions about my books on my personal website, uh, which is CatherinePhillipsMD.com. And Catherine has Catherine has a somewhat unusual spelling. It's K-A-T-H. A-R-I-N-E, so that's CatherinePhillipsMD.com. And then uh, my book should be available on Amazon if, if you want to look there. Um, Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. That is great. Catherine, thank you so much for being on with us today. It is a real honor and pleasure to have you. And for our audience, please uh, continue to subscribe. We hope that you enjoyed today's show, and we look forward to speaking to you next time. Take care. Thank you so much, Jim. Thank you.